Hi, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Pathological. Um, first of all, I want to start off by thanking everybody who has listened to or shared or posted or whatever about the podcast. Um, it, it, this is something that I'm mostly just doing for a hobby, but having support and and, and knowing that, that people out there are listening to it means the absolute world to me. Um, I have the most amazing friends and family, and I maybe people I don't know have listened to it as well. So if you have listened to it or are planning on listening to it, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we probably are still going to have some kinks with like the audio and stuff like that. Um we're not made of money. Yeah, we are not made of money. So these things will hopefully improve over time if at any point this becomes a an income. Um, but I think what we've got going for us right now is not too bad. So we shall jump right into it. Um, today's episode is called Socialite in the Suitcase, the murder of Sheila Vaughn. I think it's Weiss. Weist? No, there's no T. Weist? No, there's no T. Oh. Sheila Vaughn Weiss. Weiss. Which one sounds... Weiss. Weiss sounds really affluent and hoity-toity. <laughs> and it is anybody who's got their middle name Vaughn, Vaughn yeah. is hoity-toity us. Or Van, Serena Vanderwoods. <laughs> I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. XO, XO. Um, this case is actually, vi- well, sort of. Um, the people involved in this case are very close to home for us. Um, this case is... is about a family that lives in or lived in Oak Park, Illinois, which is, if you don't know, um, pretty affluent western suburb of Chicago. And uh, we recently moved from there. So it's, it's yeah, some of these things are like the areas and stuff like that are very familiar to me, which I think is pretty cool. So on August 2nd, um, 2nd, hello, on August 2nd, no, that's right, 2nd, 2nd, 3rd. On August 2nd, 2014, Sheila Von Weiss and her daughter Heather flew first class to Bali, Indonesia, where they stayed at the St. Regis Hotel, um, which is a luxury five-star resort. But their time in paradise came to an abrupt and tragic end when the body of Sheila was found stuffed into a suitcase. This discovery would kickstart a multi-continent investigation, complete with deportations, FBI involvement, and the threat of death by firing squad. Um, Ultimately, three people wound up behind bars for their involvement in this murder. And yeah, like I said, this is going to be a bit of a doozy. So strap in and, and do your best to follow along. So we'll start off with a little bit of information about Sheila. Um, She was born on June 10th, 1952 in Minnesota. I couldn't find a whole lot of information about her. Like, I like to try to honor the victims as best as I can, like with, you know, a bio or their likes and stuff like that. And I couldn't find like anything super concrete about her. But the little tidbits that I did find, um, she majored in, majored in poli-sci at Simmons College in Boston. And something that I thought was pretty cool is she worked for both Ted and Jackie Kennedy. So that's pretty dope. Okay. I know, right? And um, one of the articles I read said that, like, she was the victim of a crime or something. And, like, Ted, I guess, went to court for her and, like, you know, um, what's the word? What is word? Rappers. No, he's not a lawyer. He, um... Okay. Sure. Advocated for her. I don't know. I don't know what the crime was. I couldn't find too much about that, but I, it was pretty cool. That's what happens when you got Vaughn and you're dead. Yeah, I know, right? Um, she attended University of Chicago's um, PhD program. I did not find what the specific program was. I just know she had a PhD. So you go, girl. Good for her. 
And then she married um, notable jazz musician James L. Mack, who was at the time 23 years her senior. And James, yeah. <laughs> Listen, love is love. It just, it's just nothing but a number if you guys are both illegal. No, no, no. Why? It's a little creepy. But she was like older. Okay. It's not like he was like she was 18 and then he was like 40 something. She was already like well into her adult years. So iffy. It's, okay. it's weird, you know, to me. But like once you get past that, you know, you're not like freshly adult dating a 60 year old. It becomes like less creepy after that. Like once you're like 30 or something and you're dating a 50 year old, it's still weird. But like it's we're establishing that, that W word is. OK, bro. Yeah, there we go. Um, anyways, okay. So yes, um, his, his, James's family members did find it odd that he, um, got remarried when he was pretty old and that his new wife was so much younger, but they just figured he was lonely and, and needed some companionship. So ultimately they had a daughter, Heather. Now Heather also really strange. I could not find an exact birth date for her. It just says October, 1995. We don't know if she's um, a Libra or whatever is at the end of October. The Scorpio's going to have. Listen. (laughs) So um, she grew up in the Chicago area. She spent a majority of her her life in Oak Park. And growing up, she had um, a good relationship with both of her parents when she was pretty young. Um, But she was especially close to her father. She called him her caregiver and best friend. When she was young, her hobbies included going to parks, playing with dolls, swimming, ice skating, ballet, and Girl Scouts. And then when she did spend time with her parents as a child, which she did a lot, they would go to movies, they would go to the theater, charity events, operas, and symphonies, which is very hoity-toity. Yes. Y'all got money. She had six half-siblings from her father's previous relationship. Um, I... I found an article that said that that Sheila just didn't let her have contact with her dad's side of the family. I don't know how true that is. I couldn't find any information on his side of the family. So, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't know exactly what's going on. But, um, you know, underneath all of that happy hoity toitiness and just ridiculous sums of money, um, there were allegations of abuse. Now, the key word here is allegations. Um, there are some really unreliable narrators in this story. So take this all with a grain of salt. Some of these uh, we'll kind of come back and discuss later on. But again, just before I get started on this, these are just allegations. So there were allegations that James abused Sheila. Um, Heather said that her father was verbally and physically abusive towards her mom. Um, this included bullying her, slapping her, pushing her downstairs. And she said that he was the primary antagonist in the home until he became wheelchair bound. And so he ended up in a wheelchair because he suffered an injury while they were vacationing in Greece. Um, I guess he cut his foot and the doctor that was on the cruise that they were on or whatever just did a really shit job at helping. And so his wound became septic. And then he ended up in a coma for three weeks. And then when he woke up, he is paralyzed from the waist down. So. Just handed out doctor. Yeah. Doctorates as well. <laughs> Doctorates in, in a lot of degrees. <laughs> My God. Um, and then there are allegations that Sheila was abusive towards James. Um, once once the, his you know he got injured, the abuse was said to have reversed. So 
There were reports that Sheila was not physically abusive, but she taunted him and abused him in other ways, like... Um, Just any way to get her lick back. That's nice. Allegations. Remember, allegations. She allegedly got her lick back. Yes. Okay. Um, she's, you know, would allegedly move his wheelchair out of his reach. That's fucked up, bro. Just... Just a, an inch at a time. Yeah, just a little bit. Don't you want to come get this? That's horrible. No. Um, apparently, she would get drunk and neglect his needs altogether. And then this uh, allegedly increased after James was diagnosed with colon cancer. So Heather became her her father's primary caregiver. And as she got older, she began to voice her anger towards her mother um, about her treatment towards, towards James. And this resulted in a lot of um, just verbal arguments between the two of them. Now, James, unfortunately, uh, died of a pulmonary embolism on August 6th, 2006. Um, They were on vacation in Greece again. Um, And Heather was 10 at the time, and she actually witnessed his death. I think he just kind of... Back up. So Heather was... She became his primary caregiver. Allegedly at at age like nine, ten. I'm going to try and keep this working. Allegedly became his primary caregiver at around nine or ten years old, which is just what? I mean, that is some people's lives, and that's very unfortunate. But Oh, man. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, even if she wasn't, watching him die when she was, you know, at such a young age just got to be really, really tough. Um, So... According to Heather, she wanted to end the trip early um, just to grieve at home, but Sheila declined, and they continued the trip, which aggravated their already tumultuous relationship. Allegedly. Oh, my God, I have a life, too. Allegedly. Um, During an estate sale after James died, Sheila sold hundreds of handwritten original musical scores that were been, had been written by him, um, and James's work helped create breakthroughs for Black musicians in Chicago, during the civil rights era, um, his original compositions and, and orchestral um, arrangements were used by soul and jazz uh, legends like Ramsey Lewis, Tyrone Davis, Nancy Wilson, and more. And one buyer said, they were all over his, this basement. I thought at the time it was kind of odd to have all this music open to the public for sale, especially stuff he wrote. And the fact that they were for sale in a basement and not professionally archived was, for some, a sign of the fractured dynamic of the family that he left behind when he died. No, absolutely. Like, she has to know that there's some value yeah. associated with these things, especially just given his history. Yeah. This is allegedly... Now, I think that that was true. No, okay. that, that she did actually sell his works out of, like, out of the basement during the estate sale. I don't know if she just was just grieving or just, like, ignorant to it, but... There's some. There's, I'm, I'm sensing some spite in there. I don't know. There, yeah, that it's. You have to know that there's like historical value to absolutely putting those somewhere and getting them archived. So yeah, um, there were also allegations of abuse of um, Sheila against Heather. Um, uh, Heather claimed that her mother would slap her, um, hit her, shake her on multiple occasions, um, and and most of this occurred initially while Heather was too young to fight back. Heather claims that she would hide alcohol to keep her mother from um, driving while intoxicated, and this would cause physical and verbal altercations between the two as well. Now, Sheila is a blonde, blue-eyed white woman, and apparently, according to Heather, um, she frequently insulted Heather's looks because she looked more like her father, which um, Heather said instilled a sense of shame into her because of her mixed race. 
Um, apparently, Sheila would often say that she wanted a daughter who looked whiter, um, would sometimes call Heather the N-word. And again, you guys, these are all allegations. Neither Sheila nor James are alive to to fight these allegations, you know, so yeah, to unallege these allegations. So I know that I keep saying that, but I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm not trying to just spit on these people's names and stuff like that. This is just the information that was out there. And I, I, I realize that just because it's out there doesn't mean it's true. Oh, this is crazy. Are you looking up stuff? Well, I'm, I'm looking up Heather because well, I didn't know what she looked like. That's, don't Don't spoil it. Yeah. Don't spoil it. Okay. <laughs> but that's just such a, like, a, allegedly, it's such a, a hurtful thing to do because I have no say in my genetics or, or my you genetic background. reproduce with a black man that you expect. I just popped up. That's just what I got. And he was, like, he was, an, he was a pretty dark-skinned black man, so the fact that Heather is as light-skinned as she is, I mean, like, that's, that's, you're mad? I guess. You won some of the war. Yeah, yeah. Um... Apparently, Heather struggled with incontinence as a child, and she was occasionally bullied by her peers for this. And Heather alleges, the word of the day is alleged. What's the letter of the day? Okay. A. Stop. Alleged. <laughs> Sheila allegedly told Heather that she had some sort of medical condition that, and she had to wear diapers until she was 10. It was, it's... Embarrassing. Kind of, it's very random. Now, the relationship after James's death uh, just really took a horrible turn. Um, Heather got a pretty lengthy criminal history after her father died. Um, assaults, thefts, truancy, just so many different things had occurred. Between 2004 and 2013, they were, there were 86 known domestic, viol- domestic violence calls to the Oak Park Police Department um, between Sheila and Heather. 86. I did submit a Freedom of Information Act request, and I did get my hands on some of the um, police reports from these calls. And there wasn't too much in them that that's not already somehow going to be included in in the notes. But that's a lot of calls to make to the cops. And that's not even all like not all the calls went to the cops. For our, our listeners that don't know what the Freedom of Information and and for the the handsome man to your right who also doesn't know the ins of it. Freedom of Information Act is basically a law in the United States that says like there are certain there are certain records, um in this case pertaining to like criminal, you know, police reports, nine one one calls and things like that 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 citizens have the right to access. So if a record or something like hasn't been sealed for whatever reason or is not, you know, supposed to be just kept kept under wraps for whatever reason, you can reach out to whatever police department or whatever entity is involved and be like, I'm submitting a request for information based on this person through these dates for this case. And they have, I think, five days to to either send it to you or to be like, no, we're not going to send it because of this reason. So, okay. Yes, that is the Freedom of Information Act. I apologize. <laughs> um, so Heather had her first contact with police when she was 12 years old. Um, she locked Sheila in her bedroom and threatened to kill herself by overdosing on pills, which ironically, I actually read um, uh, another report in which Heather said that Sheila was the one that did that, that, she, that Sheila locked herself in a bathroom and was like, I'm going to kill myself. So... Yeah. Like I said, unreliable narrator. 
Um, there were additional reports for physical altercations, skipping school, running away, skipping therapy, sending nudes, which at the time would be classified as child porn because she was underage. Um, in November 2010, $1,000 cash went missing from their home. Heather said she did not do it, but she did admit to stealing her mother's credit card. <laughs> in January of 2011, Heather, she pushed her mother so hard to the ground that Sheila broke her arm. She, she you got to get your weight up. She broke her mother's arm. Yeah, that's that's crazy, right? Um, February seventeenth, two thousand eleven, there was an argument over uh, Heather doing chores. She broke dishes. She broke picture frames. She knocked over furniture. She pushed Sheila again, who was still in a cast with a broken arm, and then she disconnected the home phone to keep her mother from calling the police. Now she did eventually get arrested. But Sheila declined to press charges because she didn't think that Juvie would help the situation at all. Mm. And I'll get into more of that pretty soon. Um, there were several threats of arrest. And I know I read one article. And the reason that I didn't put all of this information in the actual notes is because it was an overwhelming a lot, um, amount of information. But I did link, again, all of my resources are going to be linked in the comments. So you're welcome to to look some stuff up on your own. Um there was one officer in particular who dealt with them a lot who really wanted Sheila to go forward with having her arrested. Mm -hmm. Not because, like, he wanted to be a dick, but to be like, like you need help. She, yeah. You have to do something to help this girl. Given the history of the 86 yeah, calls exactly. and everything that's gone down since or just in that span of time, something has to be done. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the threat of arrest occurred several times and each time ultimately Sheila just refused to cooperate and she did not want her ha uh, to have her arrested. Now I know some of us are probably sitting here like why? Like your kids beating the shit out of you. Why? Mm. It's really common in domestic violence victims to want to protect the abuser. Like not only was she a victim of domestic violence but the perpetrator was her daughter who was a minor. So she's hardwired to protect her daughter at all costs and do what she thinks is best. And she doesn't think that that sending her to juvie is going to mend the relationship or, or really do anything to help her at all. So she just didn't. And I get that. Now, the domestic violence laws in Illinois and honestly, a lot of other states are actually not. There are no laws that really protect parents from their minor children in instances of domestic violence. So there's laws that protect children from abuse by their parents, partners from abuse by other partners, and elders from abuse by pretty much anyone. But there are no laws that protect parents from abuse by minor children. So basically, without Sheila's cooperation and willingness to have her arrested, the cops cannot do anything, yeah. which is, you know, that's tough. Now, this is one of those cases where there was no she like I couldn't find anything like any information indicating that Heather had been formally diagnosed with any sort of mental disorder. But this may be, be because of, you know, Sheila not wanting to press charges. So she might have gotten, um, you know, an assessment in prison that could have helped. And then Heather, Heather skipping out on their therapy sessions probably didn't give her much opportunity to to ha like sit down and talk to somebody and be like, these are the symptoms that may be going on. So I pulled out. My trusty, dusty DSM-5. It is quite dusty. It's I dusted it. I'm kidding. And once again, going to use my master's in forensic psych to kind of shed some light on what I think 
could have been going on. Again, I'm 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 not. I don't have a doctorate. I'm not a doctor. I have my master's. I have a DSM. I have common sense. <laughs> if she had been diagnosed with anything, I think that Heather would have been diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder. And this is something that's only applicable applicable to people who are six years old and up. So. The symptoms that are associated with this are recurrent behavioral outbursts representing a failure to control aggressive impulses, and this is manifested by at least three behavioral outbursts involving damage or destruction of property and or physical assault involving physical injury against other individuals occurring within a 12-month period. Check. We know this for sure because 86 domestic violence calls and also broken arm. Conditions, broken picture. Yeah. Um, the magnitude of aggressiveness expressed during the outbursts is grossly out of proportion to the provocation. So me asking you to do your chores should not result in you throwing furniture and, and yeah. The aggressive outbursts are not premeditated. They're impulsive and anger based. So they're not committed to achieve an objective like money, power or intimidation. This one, I kind of sat there and looked at for a second because like theoretically, if you're acting physically aggressive towards towards somebody, that's going to be intimidating, especially when the person cannot or or will not do anything back. That's just like natural. So I think it still counts here. And finally, the outbursts cause either distress in the individual or impairment in occupational or interpersonal functioning, or the outbursts are associated with financial or legal consequences. So breaking the furniture and stuff like that or you know any any of the times that the cops did show up and you know could have potentially taken her away consequences so but again she was never formally diagnosed with this so i don't know if this is the case this is just that's the one that kind of popped up to me when when i was reading this is all alleged oh, <laughs> that damn word again on october 27 2011 um, there was an argument over Sheila taking Heather's phone. And so Heather slapped and kicked Sheila. And she bit her so hard that she left a massive bruise on her arm. And there's pictures online you can see. Like, it's a gnarly bruise. I, I'm actually very surprised she didn't break skin. And you know a thing or two about getting bitten by your kid. Yeah. Because we have a 19-month-old who bit the shit out of you last week. And he did break some skin. The sizable divot in my shoulder. Yeah. I think I might have given birth to like a werewolf or something. Anyways, um, so there are various other instances of abuse, you know, smacking, punching, hitting. And then Heather also claimed that Sheila forced her to have multiple abortions. This actually might be true. And we will revisit that later and you will see why I think that actually may be true. So the abuse became so frequent that Sheila actually expressed to friends um, that she was fearful that Heather would eventually kill her. If you haven't already picked up on the vibe of where this episode is going, this bitch kills her mom. We'll get into it. This was, I was like, don't spoil it, don't spoil it. But it was, this one was really hard to be like, who done it? As soon as, as soon as her dad died, we, we know who done it. The writing was on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, Heather's probation officer also felt that Heather was completely out of control and also expressed concern that she would kill her mother. But see something, say something. Guys. But they can't remember. She doesn't want to press charges against her daughter. She does not want to send her to jail or juvie. So they cannot do anything. 
Um, and police were not were not even notified of all of the incidents incidences that like they had. Um, sometimes Sheila would just email friends about Heather's behavior. In um, one email from June sixteenth, twenty fourteen. Sheila uh, emailed a friend and said, Heather just ran out of my apartment, shoving me to the floor at the elevator. I discovered when I returned into my room that both my portable portable home phone and my cell phone were gone. I had the doorman call both numbers and waited in the apartment. No ringtone for either line. She stole both of my phones when she fled. She was like a psycho when she left. Her eyes were scary and she had a smirk on her face that would stop a ghost in its tracks. It so frightens me to see her in this type of state. Yet I'm very concerned about having no phone line at this late hour. If something were to happen, I have no means of help. And then the next day, you know, add a little bit of insult to injury. Uh, Heather stole Sheila's car and just left home for a few days without contact. Just, you know, out. She had all the phones. Out. I could have had all the contact, but I chose not to. Just out in summertime chai. You know, that's, <laughs> it's it's cool. Um, and then the thefts. There were additional thefts uh, between July and August 2014 alone. Heather made nearly $20,000 in fraudulent purchases. Now, to have $20,000 readily available to make fraudulent purchases. All credit cards. It's still probably just the I mean, still. I mean, if you have a $20,000 credit line, you probably have a lot of fucking money. After mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, oh, no, $20,000 is gone. That's okay. (laughs) If I lose $20, I'm throwing up. Like, no. And Heather made these thefts easier by just simply saving her mother's credit card information on her phone. So that's great. That's great. She's doing, she's a great, wonderful person. Now, amidst all of this abuse and crime and chaos, Heather had started high school at Oak Park River Forest High School. I have walked past that high school many times. It's massive. It is quite a large high school, and there's always some mess going on there. Um, Here she met Tommy Schaefer, who is, (laughs) according to Wikipedia, (laughs) an unemployed rapper who goes by Tommy X. And Tommy X is spelled Tommy, and then um, caps lock, E-X-X. LOL. Good for you, I, I guess. Good luck. Anyways, so they began dating. No, like, don't dread, you? Like, traffic. <laughs> Looking for my chapstick, feeling kind of car sick. There's a Ford Maverick. It's a million dollars right there. Get on with it. <laughs> he wasn't white, he was light skinned. Does that make it worse? <laughs> so they began dating and eventually got engaged. Great. Um, Heather would use her mother's stolen credit card information to buy Tommy these really expensive gifts. And she actually just straight up shared Sheila's credit card information with him. It came up. Yeah. Yeah. He secured the bag. Tommy X. (laughs) Um, She brought him, she bought him a MacBook on June 29th, 2014. And that totaled $1,380 and 19 cents. Can't forget about the tax. Um, she bought two iPhones on July 5th, 2014 that totaled $1,379.13. She needs so many phones. She probably keeps breaking them okay. and stealing them and giving them to people. Um, and Heather and Tommy would text each other on how to conceal the fraudulent charges. There was one like exchange of text messages where <laughs> he texted her and he was like, um, what's your like zip code and your mother's full name? And she she was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm trying to buy a sweater. He he. 
<laughs> just buy your fucking sweater, bro. All right, bro. Uh, oh, my goodness. So at the end of July, Heather used her mom's credit cards to book multiple rooms at uh, various Chicago hotels. I don't know why she wanted to stay in. I don't know why she wanted to go hotel hopping, but whatever. And probably didn't want to be around her mom. And they were probably doing the... But why multiple rooms? Her mom's in the condo. I'm just trying to offer a little color commentary to why Tommy X did what he did. And Heather, Jesus. Well, I guess I, that doesn't make any sense to me. But anyways, they they book these rooms and spend also $743.11 in room service. And they actually ended up getting arrested for this. This is some some Home Alone 2. That's, that's the, yeah, the whole thing. That's true. That's true. But, you know, Sheila wasn't leaving him on planes and shit. This is true. She was just beating the shit out of her mother and stealing her credit card. Um. Awesome for Heather. She dropped out of high school at her sophomore year. Love that for her. You know? Time uh, is fleeting. So, you know, why waste it on high school when you can become a credit card thief? For sure. You're already like a pro scam. As well as yeah, just you, lean in. Lean in. <laughs> um, oh, more abuse allegations, which are awesome. Apparently, Tommy was abusive towards Heather, um, said that he, you know, he would punch her, choke her, hit her, slap her. And Heather uh, allegedly never told her mother, take a shot every time we say allegedly in this, you'll die. Heather would uh, never told her mother about the abuse because Sheila didn't like Tommy. I can't imagine why. Terrible. Rapper name. Yeah. That's the reason why. That's that's top. If it had been better. That's top of the list for me. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Um, Sheila did everything that she could to keep them away from each other. She ended up selling her home in Oak Park and moved to um, the Gold Coast neighborhood in Chicago. And unfortunately, despite her best efforts, not only did they continue to see each other, but Heather became pregnant by Tommy. <sighs> So here we are in Bali. Uh, August 2014, Sheila books a first class trip to Bali to try to um, just kind of amend things, you know, with her daughter and, and hopefully make things better, which I admire her her hopefulness. But it is unfortunately what what got her killed. And I just it's so sad because this is literally just a mother trying to love her daughter. Absolutely. Yeah. And trying to do right by her because. You grow up like that. You've got everything in the world that you could possibly need. And I understand that money, you know, like it's it's not going to money can't be your mom. Money can't be your dad. But like it it truly does not seem despite all of the allegations, it does not seem like Sheila was a bad mom. It seems like she genuinely tried. Yeah. Because if if she wanted if she was just like, fuck her, she would have just sent her to jail. Like trying is is half half of the battle. Yeah. Like just to get back to whatever core unit of family because this at this point they're really all each other it's just them yeah like she of course heather has all those half siblings or anything but who knows how close yeah if at all they they were at the time so yeah it's really just like those two yeah which is unfortunate um so upon getting to bali heather um pretty much immediately steals her mother's credit card and buys a twelve thousand dollar business class yes twelve thousand not twelve hundred $12,000 business class ticket for Tommy to come to Bali. Yeah. 
And of course, Sheila is rightfully fucking absolutely furious. Are you looking at pictures of Tommy? Yeah, I need to know what Tommy X looks like. <laughs> um, Tommy claimed he got fluid out to tell Sheila to tell Sheila about the pregnancy. But this was false. And we know this to be false because a July 30th email from Sheila to one of her friends said, Heather played me again for the new iPhone. More likes and that might be a typo. More lies. There we go. More lies and more dangerous behavior. I discovered that she is pregnant once again. I'm going to pause real quick. This is why I think that she probably did have abortions in the past mm-hmm. because she said, again, um, I understand not wanting your very, very minor daughter to have a baby. And that's all I'm going to say on that topic. We're not going to get political. Okay, back to quote. Your hair is uneven. Oh, his hair. Like, <laughs> you look that was my, my my very next comment. Like p- people that know me, I'm I'm follically ch- challenged myself, but I know what a good hairline looks like. You just yeah. Yeah. When you and when you start to get that point, you just shave your head. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways, uh, back to her mom's email. So so very sad. She told Tommy that she played me like a pro to get her new iPhone, and that I'm so stupid, just terrible. I discovered that the two iPhones that were stolen on my Chase card were given to Tommy, the homeless boyfriend. (laughs) I love that. I fear once again for what will happen. A good day turned in my face once again. That is so sad. You can tell, like, just in these emails that she is genuinely, and and there's a lot of emails. I think I probably also posted the link for that in in the notes. I will if I didn't. Um, A lot of these emails to these friends, like, she's just, like, looking for help she's truly just trying to figure out a way to yeah looking for some light yeah and that sucks man it's that's tough um at some point i couldn't the dates seemed like they were a little bit conflicting with this but at some point after tommy arrived um they sheila and tommy were seen on security camera in the hotel arguing in the lobby and then by august 12 2014 sheila was murdered and she was dead Remind me how many days into... She got there. I think they got there on the 4th, maybe, or the 2nd. It was pretty early, so they had been there for a little over a week before she was murdered. So, like I said earlier, we all know who did this by this point. It was obvious. Um, So Heather actually began planning her mother's murder at least six months in advance, and authorities concluded rightfully so, that the motive was financial. She solicited Tommy for help as early as February 2014 and offered him $50,000 to help find somebody to kill her. Yeah. One text from Tommy said, can't wait to be rich. Seriously, can't wait. I'm so geeked. I'm like thinking of lavish lifestyles. Now, Heather was originally supposed to be the one to kill Sheila with Tommy waiting outside the room in case she needed help, but Heather couldn't bring herself to do it. Um, and she, as she begins to panic... Tommy texts her, you must knock her out. Listen, and shut the fuck up already. Shut up, G. You're so stupid. Shut the fuck up. Let me fucking talk. Which, this kind of leads me to believe that maybe he was actually abusing her. I know maybe in this. Like, this is... At the very least, he was probably verbally abusive. As far as physical goes, I don't know, because there's no, like, reports or anything, but he... I mean, for the listeners, I would... Look this man up. Yeah. And and make your own judgment. Yeah. 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 Um, other texts from Tommy said, can't we suffocate her together? Put your hand over her mouth. Um, eventually, Tommy just accepted that he'd have to do it. And texts like, let me just creep up and whack her. 
Yeah, I'm gonna whack her, see? And once I do it, she's drunk and she slipped and fell, see? That's what we tell the the coppers, see? Team 20. Yeah, because he said whack her. Okay. <laughs> and Heather goes, okay, just knock her out. Like, super, super cash. So after exchanging a few more texts, by the way, from the same phone that Sheila had just recently bought Heather, they're planning these murders on the phone that she just bought her daughter. These are criminal masterminds. Well, not even that. Like, that's just super fucked up. No one's gonna know. <laughs> They're gonna know. Beam, 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 beam. Could you imagine, though, like, if mom bought you a phone and you were like, I'm gonna kill this bitch. That's messed up, like, man, like on the they, phone that she bought you. Like, phone records can't be pulled. You know, this... You and I are talking about two different things. You're talking about how stupid it is that they left a paper trail. I'm talking about how fucked up it is that your mom bought you a phone and then you texted people about killing her on that phone. Yes. Yeah. It's fucked up. I, yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, after exchanging more texts, Tommy eventually entered the room where Heather and Sheila were. Um, authorities said that Sheila was asleep at the time. So Heather let Tommy in. He covered her mouth and beat Sheila to death with a metallic blunt object, possibly a vase or a metal fruit bowl that he had hidden under his shirt in security footage. Super, you know, that's just a tumor. It, it's nothing. Now, preliminary autopsy results showed that Sheila was hit on the head and the back of the neck. She had numerous contusions and lacerations and defensive wounds were found on her lower arms. And ultimately, it was concluded that her cause of death was actually asphyxiation. So what happened was the force of the blows fractured her nasal and jawbone and obstructed her airway. So she just suffocated. And like the defensive wounds are there. So, you know, she she obviously woke up like she can see who's doing this to her in her last moments. She's realizing that her greatest fears come true and that her daughter and her homeless boyfriend are killing her. And that's just... Yeah, that's tough. So in the the immediate after um, aftermath, Heather and Tommy, who often referred to themselves as Bonnie and Clyde, you know, just the greatest criminal masterminds on earth, do their best, and their best was shit, to clean up the scene and stuff Sheila's half-naked body into a suitcase. I don't know why they took her clothes off, or I don't know if she was already... Some people like to sleep half-naked. I get it. It's probably hot in Bali, so... But yeah, they stuffed her body into a suitcase. So the suitcase has blood all over it. Yeah. That's really, really inconspicuous, right? Tommy X, y'all. <laughs> Nobody's going to know. So starting at 9.51 a.m., security footage from the hotel shows Heather moving between the third, sixth, and ground floors of the hotel with the suitcase before eventually retrieving a luggage cart from the lobby. So they wrapped the suitcase in a sheet, which also had blood all over it, and put it in the trunk of a taxi. Now, the taxi driver is there. And this man looks and sees the blood and he's like, I'm not taking y'all nowhere. Are you fucking insane? And he became so suspicious that he recorded them and took pictures of them while they're doing this. So there are pictures of them like leaning over the the, the, the trunk of the taxi with this bloody fucking suitcase. Shout out to that taxi driver, man. Like, I love when people have the wherewithal and just like the common sense to be like, that doesn't look right. I don't think that's supposed to be like that. Yeah, once if... For anybody that just breaks free of like the bystander, the bystander effect, yes, yes. my God, oh, it drives me and crazy. Really re recognizes like, okay, this shouldn't be. Happening. Yeah, this isn't right, and especially this guy because it's his livelihood. You know, yeah. wrap me up. I'm not getting up in this. Like, come on, man. So, they fled the hotel once they realized that he wasn't going to drive them anywhere. And he uh, Heather 
was heard angrily telling the hotel staff that she was going to call her mother. So obviously they're starting. She's already starting to try to like throw them off. Mm-hmm. Um, the taxi driver drove to the fucking police station. It was like something's going on here. Something's in here. I didn't put this in here. This isn't mine. But something's in here. And they yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure these these idiots didn't wear any sort of even if they had yeah like <laughs> still so. Uh, Heather's additionally trying to cover their tracks. She called her doorman at the Chicago home and a family friend and claimed that her and her mom had been kidnapped and robbed by an armed gang, which meant fuck all because the police go into the hotel room and they found a poorly written script and notes about how to keep their story straight. <laughs> it was written in pencil, too, and not like a mechanical pencil. It was like a number, like a thick boys, bro, like... <laughs> You can, the ones that did they sign the sincerely Tommy X. <laughs> um, they just continued lying. They told Indonesian Chris is over here. Just he's so furious. He's so frustrated. <laughs> um, they told Indonesian police that Sheila had willingly bought Tommy's plane ticket because she was sad to be in fucking Bali without her lame ass homeless trash rapper. SoundCloud ass boyfriend. What a punishment. Yeah. Um, she told them that Sheila was mad at hotel staff for not letting her know when Tommy arrived. I don't know what that has to do with anything. And then she told them that masked intruders killed Sheila. And then finally, she admitted that Tommy killed Sheila after she attacked him after finding out about the pregnancy. Which, again, we know not to be true because we know that Sheila knew that she was pregnant before this trip. And all the while, she like, she's talking to investigators about how her mom is dead and she's like laughing and joking with them. So whole lot of remorse there. So let's get to this is this is probably my favorite my favorite portion of this uh, Indonesian prison. So Heather and Tommy were officially arrested on August 13th, 2014. And they did a urine test on Heather on August 20th and confirmed that she was actually pregnant. I don't know how to pronounce this. I meant to look it up before we recorded. Karabokin, Karabokin prison. Karabokin, we're going to call it Karabokin prison, is um, the prison in Bali that they were placed in. It was built to house 300 inmates, but as of 2017, it housed over 1,400 male and female prisoners. 78 of the prisoners were convicted of drug-related charges. And in 2009, actually, the Indonesian government introduced a mandatory minimum three-year sentence for nonviolent drug-related offenses. So, like, maybe you got a little bit of weed. (laughs) You're getting three years at minimum. Like, that's ridiculous. And then you're getting stuffed into, like, the pits of hell. Exactly. Because there's, yeah, no. Prisoners receive just one dollar a day for whatever work they do. Bali and dollar, Indonesia. I have dollar. I have problem. I don't fucking know. Um, there were reports of murders made to look like suicides, reports of corruption, drug use, sex parties. Um, people said that inmates with money, and those were usually the foreigners, um, people that there were there, you know, tourists and shit like that, could bribe guards to bring them drugs, to take them out on fucking beach excursions, and bring prostitutes to the prison to have wild sex parties with. Um, sounds lit. Oh. It is considered a high security prison, but sometimes there were as few as five guards on duty at any time. And remember, at least 1,400 prisoners. Now, analysts believe that the country's ju- judicial system is to blame for the prison overcrowding and the poor guard to prisoner ratio. 
Nearly 29,000 Indonesian nationals are serving lengthy sentences for nonviolent crimes like gambling and pickpocketing. Attenzione, pickpocket! Right. In March 2008, also, fun fact, government made watching porn illegal. So. Is this place fun? I don't know. <laughs> it's fun for people who don't live there, apparently. Actually, no, because you could still go there and, and yeah. you know, I can't watch porn if we go to Bali. So I don't really want to go there. Between that and the TikTok of the spiders that I saw the last week, you know, I'm good. Um, Get that VPN uh, ready <laughs> because if you're going to Bali. <laughs> and then the prison has had several, like, major riots and successful escapes in the past where, like, people have died and fires have been set and holes have been dug underneath walls. That's actually, I'm not on some Looney Tunes shit. I'm being dead ass. So, yeah. Hmm. And Indonesia's top prison official even admitted that there are no medium security inmates. So that means that murderers and rapists and like drug kingpins are housed in the same area as just drug users and petty thieves and pickpockets. Everybody gets general Yes. Yes. Prison rated E for everyone. Yeah. Ooh, let's talk about Indonesian capital punishment. So premeditated murder is punishable by death in Indonesia. And Indonesians love them some capital punishment because they don't do lethal injection. They don't do gas chambers. They don't do electrocution. They have a firing squad in which death row inmates are woken up in the middle of the night, taken to some remote location, blindfolded, and are shot from five to ten meters away by a squad of 12 soldiers. And the soldiers aim for their heart, not their head. I don't know why I would have figured head, but, you know. And who's to say that they're actually doing that? What do you mean? Like they're actually aiming for the heart? They could just be having... Well, yeah, they could. The time of... Oh, man. Now, only three of the 12 soldiers actually fire live bullets. Um, the rest are blanks, so nobody knows who fires the lethal bullet. What I actually thought that was kind for the soldiers because they don't have a choice. I've, I've read a couple of interviews and like one soldier in particular was just saying like he, he feels like so much guilt behind it but he has to do it because it's his job and that like ultimately he's going to to have to take that up with god but he said that he likes the fact that you don't know whose bullet is the one that is the one that kills the person so it, it takes a little bit of the a little bit of the guilt away i guess but i can only imagine how tough that is um if the prisoner survives the commander shoots them in the head close close range which I don't understand why you couldn't just do that anyways, because then that from jump. Yeah. And this is re repeated until a doctor is like, oh, for sure, they're dead. So, like, if they get shot, they're still alive and the, and the commander shoots them. Like, they get shot. Doctor checks. Still alive. Shoots them in the head. Doctor checks again. If by chance they happen to still be still alive, because some people do get shot in the head and they're still alive, then they do it all over again. Yeah. Now, prosecutors in this case were not seeking the death penalty, but the judges overseeing the case could have overturned that if they had wanted to. Luckily, <laughs> they were uh, they did not overturn that. And Heather and Tommy were were charged with premeditated murder formally on January 14th, 2015. In April 2015, Heather was sentenced to 10 years and Tommy was sentenced to 18 years. Now, Heather claimed that the conditions in the prison were horrible. She said she lacked basic plumbing. They suffered from overcrowding. They dealt with infestations of rot, rats and cockroaches and other vermin. Um, and that she was made to cover her head like other female Muslim inmates. Some of this may be true. I, I'm, I'm 
fairly certain that overcrowding and vermin are probably an issue. Absolutely. Um, but in a May 29 interview, she said prison was probably the best prison in the world, like the one that she was in. She also noted that over there in the U.S., it's like prisoner 1161. Here in Indonesia, they call you by your name. There's really no punishment here. It's just all about rehabilitation. Yes, I'm locked up, but I'm happy. My life is better now than it's ever been before. I'm far happier than I was living with my mother in Chicago. Now, girl, sis, ma'am. Let's just take a moment to note that the previous home that they lived in in Oak Park sold for $1.6 million in 2022. And the Gold Coast condo that they lived in sold for $610,000. So, like I said, money can't buy happiness, but I'd rather cry in an Audi than a Toyota Camry. So I'm, I'm going to call, call Cap on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you're, you're a liar. A liar. Um, somehow, I think that Heather was actually, like, logistically intelligent. Obviously not in terms of being a criminal, but she was able to quickly adopt and perfect the language and mannerisms of the Balinese people, which that's amazing to me. Because, like, how? It could. Duolingo be beating my ass. For sure. He's going to be mad at me if I don't. Okay. Yeah. yeah, two hours. Yeah. Um, but no, that could that potentially be due in part to just her alleged mental? I don't, I don't know. What could what be like the the fact that she was able to not only adopt the language but also just the mannerisms very quickly? You think that has something to do with the uh, fact, intermittent explosive? That or just no. the fact that she's obviously a crazy person? No. Okay, now that wouldn't have. I don't think intermittent explosive disorder really has anything to do with like someone's capacity for like intelligence and shit. I don't even. She just might be a. She, really smart she was probably gifted i mean she did a lot of like ballet and piano and stuff like that as a child so she would probably was gifted from like a scholarly standpoint right but then she just wasted it um so so she did give birth to a daughter stella y'all she's so fucking cute you guys can find pictures of her on google the cutest little girl she had her on March 18th, 2015. And the judges said that this is why um, their sentence was, her sentence was much less than Tommy's. But also, like, Tommy killed Sheila. She just helped. Um, they uh, For this, Heather said, they let Stella stay with me until she was two. They've taught me so much about patience and nurturing and how to be a good mother. One night she got sick and I had three people helping me. A doctor taking care of her, a nurse showing me how to hold her, and another lady making me a cup of tea. Now, after she turned two, um, Stella had to be turned over to a foster uh, mom, and she was fostered by an Australian caretaker who was living in Bali at the time, who had befriended Heather soon after she got arrested. So, love that for it. Like, this was genuinely a kind woman. Like, I couldn't find any kind of indicators that she was, you know, crazy or trying to just take take the baby. And in fact, many of the uh, other female inmates in the prison had very much grown to love Stella. Um, One said she's a little girl with 148 mothers, which I think is beautiful. They were saying how like these super hardened, like some of these really hardened criminal women were just gushing over her. I'm like, a little baby could do that for you. (laughs) Um, Fellow prisoners said that (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm about to say Fellow prisoners said that Heather was distraught when she was saying bye to Stella. 
but subsequently spent the day in bed with her lesbian lover, Raphael. I just... What? Why is her name Raphael? What's happening? Why does she call herself Raphael? You can come up with a better lesbian name. Oh, are Bruce, say, are you saying it? You think right? Maybe it has a more... Raphael. That sounds like a Harry Potter curse. Eh, no, her name was Raphael. Meanwhile, Tommy's a fucking mess. Like, Heather's over here at the time of her goddamn life. Tommy's a fucking mess. Um, he, he lost the bid to have his mother become Stella's legal guardian, which he was furious about. And I understand that. I could not find any re- particular reason as to why they wouldn't let her become her guardian. She seemed like a kind woman. I know that they'd had, like, financial issues in the past, so I don't know if that was it, but I don't know. Um... An inmate said that he had recently been put into solitary confinement for three weeks for attacking another inmate with an iron bar and then just started walking around telling everybody that he's a prophet from God. So he's, you know, his cheese is sliding off his cracker real fast. And, you know, I get it. It, Prison. I probably wouldn't fare well in there either. And like I said, meanwhile, Heather's still living it up. She had access to a cell phone which she used to take videos of herself partying with other inmates and smoking and was able to communicate with friends in the United States. <laughs> in 2018, she posted a video claiming that Sheila killed James and that she killed Sheila as revenge for that. But we all know that James died of a pulmonary embolism in Greece, so... Greece killed James. Twice. Twice. Um, she also said in this video that she didn't regret killing her mother and insisted that she killed Sheila and that Tommy was innocent. This, yeah, unreliable narrator. In later interviews, however, her story changed. One article said that um, I asked Mac whether she felt like whether she felt any remorse. Yeah, I feel remorse, she said in the same way a teenager might respond when asked if she had a good day at school. Mac also recanted the YouTube confession she'd posted 12 months before. Oh, that that wasn't true, she said, waving a hand through the air to signify its irrelevance. I made it up because Tommy was blackmailing me. He wanted me to say that I planned that also the sentence would be reduced. And the same interviewer said in a follow-up interview, Mac introduced an entirely new motive for killing her mom. My mother was a racist. That's why this happened, Mac said, accusing Sheila of regularly hurling racial slurs at Tommy and trying to force her to have an abortion because of Tommy's African-American heritage. She said I was black enough and that if I had a baby with Tommy, it would be even blacker. My mother was a racist. That's why this happened. There is nothing anywhere that I could find to support this claim. I'm choosing not to believe it. Mm. I don't believe a, a goddamn thing that comes out of this girl's mouth. I'm right there with you. Okay. Um, more about the prison. She said, we're treated really well because everyone here knows what happened. They just want us to go home. I'm just with Tommy all day and he plays basketball and tennis and soccer. Um, now, despite Heather's own allegations that Tommy had abused her throughout their relationship, messages to friends in the U.S. described Tommy as, quote unquote, perfect. She said, Tommy is the first I ever truly let in 100 percent. He truly makes me feel like I can be anything like a murderer. <laughs> um, I want to marry him. He's perfect for me. And she also suggested that she and Tommy regularly had sex in prison and said that, quote unquote, jail is the place to be like it's a fucking club. Like it was like it's 308 at Purdue back in the day. <laughs> well, good news. Hey. Shocker. Her and Tommy are no longer together. Can you imagine why? 
And um, other various news organizations would capture videos of Heather outside of prison, things like escorting her doc- daughter to doctor's appointments, which I get. I'm glad that she was she was able to take her to the doctor. Um, engaging in a dance routine with other inmates for Indonesia's Independence Day, um, wearing clean civilian clothing and makeup and just really having a good time. Just she kind of just seemed like another tourist. Um, ultimately, she received a 34 month cent- or credit and she was freed from the prison on Bali on October 29th, 2021. So she served only about seven years of her sentence. Okay. Now, this is one of these uh, moments where we're going to bounce back a bit. We're going to talk about a guy named Robert Bibbs, who was Tommy's cousin. As early as February 2014, Heather also reached out to him, asking him if he knew anyone who could kill Sheila for $50,000. So Facebook messages between Tommy and Bibbs um, are plentiful. And one of them says, so that bitch Heather crazy, huh? She asked me to do something really insane for $50,000. She said one thing that would make her most happy is if her mom dies. So ultimately, Bibbs was charged with the same offenses as Heather um, because he provided advice and encouragement and direction to Heather and Tommy on how to kill Sheila. Great friends. Um, So he also got hit with a premeditated murder. uh, Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Yeah. Um, Authorities believe he conspired with Heather and Tommy because he believed he would receive a cut of the estate payout. Um, In late July, Tommy had texted him saying they need to talk. And when Bibbs asked about what, Tommy responded, Buku bucks, your mind about to be blown. And then a bunch of money bag emojis followed up with we we on in a month. So this that kind of it, it wasn't they didn't need a smoking gun. They had a bajillion smoking guns, but that kind of let authorities know that they had pretty much solidified the plans to murder her within that month. And then 15 minutes later, Tommy texted him again and said, I'm too geeked. When I say pack your bags, it's for real this time. I'm telling you, G. You could start celebrating. Please. Bo, if someone robbed me, if someone robbed me right now, I would ask them if they needed anything else. I'm so sorry, you guys. It's so hard to take these texts seriously because who actually types like that? They're idiots. And they're young, I know, but still. Um, I'm telling you. Bo. <laughs> now, Bibbs told investigators that Heather had actually attempted to kill her mother in Bali before she got killed by Tommy. Um, I guess she tried to poison her with medication or some sort of sedative. Um, and they were mad surprised when she woke up and was like, let's go to the beach. So on August 10th, 2014, um, while at O'Hare waiting to board his flight to Bali, Tommy texted Bibbs. Before I say this, I'm going to quote this all. <laughs> I'm going to quote this word for word. We are black. So. Okay. Get a passport, nigga, so we can take off. Now I'm a millionaire. I come back for a week or two, then it's off to Italy. On chief. We gonna see who brand new now. In about a year or so, I'll have all that money. For real, for real. And my name type shit. Not all of it, just a couple mil probably. Oh, <laughs> all right, you know. That that was still the quote. I did not make that up like he literally said not all of it. Probably just a couple mil. <laughs> and then Bibbs responded, all you gotta do is love that girl as a best friend and she'll never leave. Boy. Not him being relationship you <laughs> so treat treat your girl treat your girl right so that when she kills her mom and gets the estate you get some of that you know proper plan and then slide a little bit of that over here proper planning so once tommy arrived in bali he and bibbs exchanged uh texts regarding the murder so bibbs said go sit on her face with a pillow 
And Tommy said, what would you do in the name of love in my family? Just trying to do good, but I'll be the sacrifice. And then Tommy said, texted again and said, this is for you, nigga, and the fam. One time, here I go. Pray for me, cuz. And then Bib sent this stupid little praying hand. I don't know if it's praying hand or a high five, but whatever. He said, done. It's go time. These men are texting each other, praying about peace of mind to, to murder somebody for money. Calm. Yeah. So after the murder, Tommy and Bibbs, they text some more. And Tommy texted him like right after, Lord, forgive me, sweet Jesus, our father. God's probably up there like, keep me the freeze. Keep me freeze. out of this, bro. I'm not in. I'm not in this at all. I was not in the room. Is he? Pray down. Is God in the room with us now? Is our father, sweet Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> um, Bibbs texted back, holy shit, what's good? Tommy said, had to. Blood everywhere. Need your help, bro. I'm Gucci, but for some reason, I don't feel bad. And then Bibbs said, she wasn't a good person. There wasn't any positive energy released from her body. You've never met her. <laughs> and you weren't there. Like, like when somebody dies and, like, just, just like you see, like, like swirly cartoon, like, if they were a good person, it's, like, white and sparkly and blue. And if they were a shit person, it's red or black. You just don't see anything. Yeah, yeah. So apparently she had positive energy released from her body. And then immediately after that, Bibbs texted again and said something about some guy getting cut from the USA men's national basketball team. Relevant. Yeah. Um, so Tommy responded, gee, why why don't I feel bad? I don't cuz at all. And then they just continued talking about basketball like it was nothing. So would would this be classified as him being like a sociopath? No. Which is what is the the law? Because if you don't, he doesn't feel bad. There has the intricacies of oh. sociopathy and psychopathy are too much for us to add into this episode. Ooh. But I will, at some point, absolutely cover somebody who is. And I just want to say this now: um, sociopathy and psychopathy are not diagnoses. They are not in the DSM. You cannot be diagnosed, quote unquote, as a psychopath. Usually psychopaths and sociopaths have like antisocial personality disorder. I will cover several people who meet that criteria in future episodes, just not this one. Anyways, so yes, they continued uh, texting about basketball and just, you know, boy shit. So in his victim impact statement during Bibbs's trial, Sheila's younger brother, Bill, said, they started chatting about basketball as if the murder were a mere footnote in history, like Sheila's murder was nothing more than hitting the delete button on an email or text message. A caring, loving, and incredible human being was brutally murdered and taken from us. This was real life, not some character in a video game, which absolutely, bro, like, I, I, I just don't get it. So soon after, Bibbs found out that Tommy and Heather were arrested, and he texted some individual, I think, that their identity was hidden because they weren't relevant in the trial he texted somebody at 6 43 a.m on august 13th 2014 and said i feel sick to my stomach oh my god he's gone man tommy man i just died inside this can't be happening in jail for murder the fact that you are losing your shit like this over your cousin who was not only still alive but is the reason like is a, is a murderer you're mad you're upset that he's in jail but you didn't feel anything about the person that he killed. That's insane to me. So Bibbs was arrested and um, on October, or sorry, not October, September 23rd, 2015 in Chicago on conspiracy charges. 
and he was sentenced to nine years in prison on June 2nd, 2017. In another victim impact statement, Sheila's younger sister, Debbie, said, I can't look at a suitcase without thinking of my beautiful sister's half-naked body somehow stuffed into a suitcase, for God's sake. I've lost many loved ones. On May 11th, 1995, I lost my beloved mother, uh, Lois, Lois Weiss, when she was only 64 years old, to Lou Gehrig's disease. On August 6, 2006, I lost my beloved brother-in-law, James Mack, when he was 77 years old, to a pulmonary embolism. On February 27th, 2008, I lost my beloved husband, Bill, when he was only 58 years old to a heart attack. On January 8th, 2009, I lost my beloved father, Norton Weiss, when he was 86 years old, when he died peacefully in his sleep. All of these deaths of my loved ones were very difficult for me, but these deaths were due to illness and age, and somehow that made these deaths something I could come to terms with and accept. But nothing in my wildest dreams could have ever prepared me for the phone call I received on Wednesday, October, August 13th, 2014, on my way to work. And like, I have a sister. I have an older sister. And we scrapped a lot when we were younger because siblings, like, that's normal. But I fucking love my older sister to death. We talk, if not every day, I mean, several times a week. We are obsessed with each other. We send each other TikToks of stupid stuff at all hours of the night, either animal-related or motherhood-related. I mean, it's the best. So I can only imagine not only dealing with all of that previous loss, but then losing, you know, losing somebody in just such a violent, just a, a horrible way. Yeah. And knowing that their last moments were probably just sure. filled with fear and, and, and hurt and betrayal and pain. Like, that's just... Yeah. So after Heather was released from Bali's prison on um, October 29th, 2021, she said that she wanted to stay in Indonesia because her daughter was there and she considered Ind Indonesia to be safer than Chicago. I don't know anything about Indonesia's like criminal statistics. And hell, maybe it is since they're so fucking trigger happy. So maybe <laughs> maybe there's people there that just don't do a whole lot of stuff. But joke was on her because they were actually, her and Stella were both deported due to Indonesia's nationality laws. So I know that the common, like common thought is that if you're born in another country, then you automatically get nationality. And that is probably true in some places, but a person born in Indonesia can only acquire nationality if one or both parents are themselves Indonesian. So she thought she was free. And she had intended to start a new life with Stella in L.A. And she was looking forward to adjusting to life outside of prison. Not that life outside of prison for her was different than life inside of prison. And she was having fun and smoking and Raphael. So um, but she was looking forward to doing things like going grocery shopping and taking Stella to the park and swimming and things like that. But upon landing at O'Hare International, she was immediately met by FBI agents and arrested on conspiracy and obstruction charges. So, this is actually something that I didn't know until I was researching this. There's something in the U.S. called the Double Jeopardy Law. Um, an article via the Associated Press said, the U.S. Constitution prohibits prosecuting someone twice for the same acts. And this is commonly known as Double Jeopardy. But the allegations in Von Weiss' Max death involve two countries with their own laws and their own claims to jurisdiction. So, because the U.S. government is a different sovereign than, in, than the Indonesian government, because Heather and Tommy started planning the murders while they were still on U.S. soil, and because it is a federal crime to kill a U.S. citizen abroad, Heather um, 
Heather has been and Tommy likely will be charged again in U.S. federal court. So Heather's federal trial was originally scheduled to begin in July 2023, but she ended up pleading guilty in June of 2023 on conspiracy to murder a U.S. national and a trial wasn't necessary. Um, And she was sentenced very recently for this. She got sentenced on January 17th, 2024. So literally a month ago Um, of the maximum possible 28 years that she faced. She was sentenced to 26 years in prison. Now, as for Stella, she is now in custody of Lisa Hellman, who is um, one of Heather's cousins. She has described Stella as an empathetic, kind and brave young girl. I believe she's about eight now. A therapist did eventually tell Stella what what Heather did to her grandma. And uh, Lisa said Stella doesn't want shit to do with her. She doesn't want to speak to her. She doesn't want to see her. She doesn't want to be raised by her. Kudos to her yeah. as a as, as to be so young. And it just parallels so just having to p- potentially grow up quicker than than she mm-hmm. knew, especially being like born in the prison system, mm-hmm. then going to live with a caretaker in a completely different well, in a different country, country, yeah. country she was born, and then being uprooted and booted out of that country exactly, and going through all of this, but to. To be to have the the consciousness at age like eight to be like, you killed somebody, you killed my grandma, and that's wrong. So I don't like you. I don't want to talk to you. Like I don't know if I had that. I don't. I really truly don't think that I would like if somebody had told me when I was that young, like, oh, you're you know, so and so killed your mom or her mom. I'd have been like, oh, okay, can we go visit her? Like you don't yeah. understand the intricacies and. In, the complexities of not only just murder, but like the criminals justice system and, and death. And like, so the fact that she was, she straight up was just, I don't, I don't fuck with you anymore, mom. Nah, nah, <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. So yeah, this it, it, it very recently kind of, it, it still technically hasn't concluded because Tommy's still over there being a prophet of God or whatever. He still has some time left. Um, We'll see if he makes it. He doesn't seem to be, like I said, his cheese is sliding off his cracker real fast. Prayer's day. <laughs> so if and when he does get released from Bali prison, he will also go through the same thing, come back here. And because he's the one that killed Sheila, I suspect that he he might get life here. Like he went from, I mean, tropical prison to, to U.S. prison. Um, so, yeah, that is the, the case of the murder of Sheila Von Wies. Uh, Once again, I'm going to post all of my sources and any additional resources in the notes. And then I'm also going to post just so I cover all bases and stuff like that. I'm going to post some um, maybe some telephone numbers and some and some links to domestic violence information just in case anybody out there is going through this. It doesn't have to be that your kid is abusing you. Um, If anybody is going through partner on partner violence or, you know, your parents are abusing you or anything like that. Um, we just want you to have those resources available if you need them. It sucks that the laws in this country still don't seem to have caught up with the time, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm sure that abuse, you know, from kids to their parents is not a new thing. But I guess to me, it's for that very reason that you would think that they would have had some laws to kind of protect parents from that at this point. And especially because, like, there was, I did read an article that said Sheila had attended um, 
a domestic violence like group therapy once. But when she got there and she saw that everybody else was being abused by like partners and other adults and she was the only one there being abused by her her minor child, she was embarrassed and she didn't go back. So people in these situations, no matter how, you know, rare or scarce it may it may be, they need resources. And it probably happens a lot more frequently than we realize, but just like Sheila, people may be embarrassed and they may not come forward and they may come forward and, and there's nothing that can be done about it unless they want something to be done about it. But again, it gets into how complex your relationship is with, you know, your kid and being a parent and wanting to protect them and wanting to help them, but kind of being stuck. So yeah, this was this was a bit of a heavy episode, but like I said a doozy. A doozy. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys liked it. Um my throat's dry as fuck now. I'm getting over a cold. I'm sure you can probably hear it um through my voice, but might do um might do a mini episode next week or something just to give myself a little bit of a break from the from the research and whatnot. So thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye guys. <laughs>